Hello and welcome to PodPod, the podcast all about podcasting for podcasters. I'm Rihanna Dillon and I'm joined this week by Reem Makari, PodPod journalist and researcher, and Adam Shepard, editor of PodPod. Hi guys. Hello. Hello. Hi. We have a very packed episode today. We had a really great interview with John Allen, who people might know better as Mr. Ballen, who does a podcast called Mr. Ballen Podcast, Strange dark and mysterious stories and uh, essentially it's a true crime show but the really interesting thing is that it started on youtube and then he turned it into a podcast so we're going to be talking all about that that way around which is pretty unusual and actually it sounds like there's something in the news about it which is really relevant reem yeah, so Reuters released their annual digital news report. And part of that news report was talking about news podcasts. And Nick Newman, who is a journalist, he was talking about the fact that publishers need to now start thinking about expanding into multi-formats, even if the percentage of their audience is mostly still reading text online, like that's the most way that they're going to consume the content. They are starting to tune more into podcasts and watch more videos as well, especially with younger audiences too. So in order to kind of expand your audience and adapt to changing demographics and changing audiences, you need to start incorporating multiple formats. So not to think about it in a way where like, I need to just go with just video podcast or just audio podcast or whatever, just think about how you can kind of promote on all these different platforms, which is really interesting. Adam, how do you think that's going to affect, you know, the average podcaster? Because it sounds like a hell of a lot more work than somebody just switching on a microphone. Well, there have been a lot of developments in this area that are geared towards making it easier for podcasters to create video content. We've heard a lot over the past year about the amount of resource and investment that's needed to create a quote-unquote proper video strategy in terms of things like editing and camera setups and studio space and all of that. But at a basic, basic level, if you just want to upload the audio only version of your podcast to video platforms with like you know some fairly basic visualizations waveforms that kind of thing there are an increasing number of free tools that you can use to do that and to do that quite easily rss.com which is a hosting provider has recently made available a tool that will do this automatically and YouTube is supposedly trialing integrations where it will import your RSS feed directly from your hosting provider and take any kind of video assets that are associated with that and just do that automatically rather than you having to re-upload a video version of your podcast to the platform specifically. So it's getting easier and easier all the time to, to dip a toe in, as it were. So here's me and Adam talking to Mr. Ballin, a.k.a. John Allen. And if you're confused by that name, then he explains it all in the interview. We delve much more into video versus audio, about what audiences really want and about transcripts as well. So do have a listen and we'll be back after our chat. Huh? I, this is odd. I've not interviewed someone with an alter ego before. Mr. Ballin or John Allen. Hi, John. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to PodPod. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We are doing this at the podcast show 2023. You've had quite a busy afternoon already. You've done a session. Tell us how that went. Yeah, no, I, I did too. I did a, a session with Wondery Studios Chief Content Officer Marshall Louis, mm-hmm. which was like a deep dive kind of into me becoming the alter ego, Mr. Ballin. <laughs> How that's gone. And then the second one was right after, and it was with the hosts of Red Handed, very popular UK true crime show. And I I sat alongside Ashley Flowers, the host of Crime Junkie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was a little more bantery and casual about podcasting and true crime. So yeah, it was great. So tell us about your sort of route into the podcast industry, because we've spoken to so many people at the podcast show who all have very unique ways, but yours, I think, is especially interesting and inspiring as well. 
you know, I, I had a very untraditional pathway to podcasting. So I graduated college in 2010, and then I joined the military, and I spent seven years in the military, and then I was medically retired from the military somewhat abruptly, and so I needed to find a civilian job. It was like very unexpected, and in the course of looking for a job for myself, I actually wound up creating this like networking service for veterans looking for jobs, wow. and it quickly became my job to run the service that helps <laughs> veterans get jobs. So it was kind of ironic. Mm -hmm. But in doing that, it was a nonprofit and we needed to raise money to like host these events. And so I began using social media, like LinkedIn in particular, to like hype up these incredible veterans, these, you know, these people that should get jobs. And so I, I began to like, as a civilian early on in like 2017, 2018, become fascinated with the internet, social media, <laughs> you know, the idea that like you can in theory, you know, post something to the internet and you can be rewarded. And, and it, yeah, it's likes and views and that kind of thing, mm -hmm. but it's, it's like the world will respond if it's good enough. At least yeah. my naive perspective was that's how it worked. There's no yeah. algorithm. It's pure meritocracy. <laughs> and so Follow I love Yeah. So it's like, it's like that was in my mind. Mm -hmm. And then, so I was using social media to, to help, you know, raise funds for this charity. And then right before the pandemic started, so we, we had these huge events for this, this charity that helped veterans get jobs and they all got canceled because the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so I was like in this weird, like, I don't really have a job right now. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was like thinking about, you know, trying other content on social media uh, and TikTok, like kind of became a thing right at this time, early mm -hmm. 2020. Previously it was musically and it was like known from a few people, but it was not what it is now. Yeah. And kind of on a whim, I posted a story because I've just always been very interested in strange, dark, and mysterious stories, true stories. I, I posted a 60-second story. It was it's so badly done, too, looking back at it now. <laughs> they uh, always are when you yeah, look it's back. It's horrible. It like, doesn't make any sense. But, but it was like, you know, compelling. You know, it's about this like, dark mystery about mm -hmm. these missing hikers. And I was, uh, I was at this water park, this indoor water park with my kids. I have three kids and my wife, and I posted it, and I always have my phone on me, but I'm, I'm at an indoor water park, and so I don't want to, it can't get wet, mm -hmm. and so I post this thing to TikTok. It's like one of my first videos on like this zero follower account, <laughs> and I put my phone in the room, and we went to the water park, and when we came back, it was like literally five million, I think it was five what? million oh, views wow. in this video. Yeah, like, like I have not even overnight. I have never gone viral in any capacity on anything else ever, and I went from <laughs> zero to like five million views, wow. like in, in the span of hours, and I think, that one, it was like totally cool. Like it was just like, <laughs> wow, this is like the coolest thing ever. And it's like all like the, the high points of like getting all this attention. The dopamine hits. Oh my gosh. And like I was checking it like every three seconds. Like this is so cool. But then there was like this part of my brain that was like, not this could be a career, but more like, there's something here. I don't know what it is, mm -hmm. but I want to try to do it again. Yes, for the dopamine rush, but also <laughs> like as a challenge, like could I like do it again? And so over the course of like the next 30 days when I'm like not really employed because this whole events things are, are not happening, I just made TikTok after TikTok, like mm -hmm. three a day. I was doing three a day for 30 days. So I did the, all these TikToks and I had like a million followers after a month on wow. TikTok, just like doing these strange, dark and mysterious 60 second stories. And then from there, like the growth of my TikTok channel, like it skyrocketed. Also, TikTok's like, it's brand new. Mm -hmm. And like, no one was really doing the type of storytelling I was doing. And so I was kind of alone. Kids are dancing and doing all this. And then there's this grown <laughs> man telling weird stories. And so it was like a unique thing that I was doing. Mm. And so I was getting, the algorithm was heavily rewarding me every time I posted. <laughs> So then I did like six months or whatever of just pure TikTok land and I not really monetized at all. It's right. like, it's just cool. And I'm like getting by. And then I was very, I was temporarily banned, like a shadow and not even a shadow ban. I was banned by TikTok doing live streams. Cause I like, I guess I brandished like a, a weapon they claimed. I'm like, what weapon did I brandish on this show? Anyways, it was this weird thing where the algorithm tripped it. And so for a week I couldn't post on TikTok. And it was, I was already thinking about going to YouTube and like taking these short stories and like expanding them, telling them for 20 minutes. And I was like, well, I have a week off from TikTok. Uh -huh. I'll do it then. And so I, I moved to YouTube and I didn't do three a day, but I did five videos a week on YouTube, wow. like out wow. the gate. It was like hor horrible. <laughs> you, did you return to the stories that you'd already done on TikTok all and new. expand all new? Oh, well, actually, that's not true. There was maybe a handful okay. that were recycled, so to speak, sure. or, or, but it was like, 
an insane, I, there were so many nights I'm like sitting in this back room of my house in Pennsylvania. There's like the people, the previous owners, they built this like shed that like hung off the back of my house. It's obviously was never permanent. Like this is, this is, a, a, this is like a shed, okay. you know, and it's like cockroaches in there, like mold. It's horrible. But like, I needed a place that was like away from my kids mm-hmm. to record. And I'd be like sitting in this room where it would get so cold. I would have to like turn the heater on, but it was so noisy. I couldn't record with mm-hmm. it. I'd like blast the heat till it was like really warm, turn it off and like speed record before it got cold again. So yeah, I, I was doing YouTube in there and it was like, I would have like five days in a row where I'm sleeping like one, two hours. Oh, and it was wow. like barely enough time to produce these like terrible videos that well, to me, they're terrible, but, but it was like this, another insane rush of like mm-hmm. creating content because very quickly on YouTube, it went not viral, but it did well. And then, so I did YouTube for a while. And once YouTube is established, it's like a career, it's a monetized mm-hmm. platform. It's like, you can do that. And once I knew that like, okay, Mr. Ballin has, Mr. Ballin, I'm air quoting, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> has gone from this like interesting random TikTok to like a brand. Mm-hmm. And it happened kind of quickly, but I need to like capitalize and make it a career. I got three young kids, I'm mm-hmm. married. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, let's make a podcast. But like we, by this point, we had long form content kind of nailed on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And it was like, take this style, make it slightly longer, focus on true crime, because that's the genre that we can repeat. It's a popular genre and do it on on podcast. And so we launched the podcast. It was very quickly like one of the best podcasts. Uh, and we just insanely produced as much podcast content as we could while keeping up with all other platforms. Uh, and then we were very fortunate to get to do a deal with uh, Wondery. Mm. And then now I'm, now I'm doing this, so here we are. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us up to speed. So that's, I think it's fair to say, a pretty punishing schedule. And I'm interested in how that links in with your background. Do you feel that being in the military for that long and you know having that very rigid discipline as sort of part of your background set you up for success in terms of being able to crank out content on that kind of ruthless schedule? Yes. This is going to seem so dramatic, but it, it, it's completely true. The training I went through for becoming a Navy SEAL, there's this one particular week you go through called Hell, Hell Week. Hell Week. And it's, That's this week for me. Yeah. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so Hell Week is, it's, the, it's fairly early in training and it's entirely designed to get people to quit the program. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, all right, we're going to see if you can handle this. Mm-hmm. It's relatively early on. You've already passed a number of test gates. Like these are people that are highly qualified to be here. They're very fit. They're ready to do this. And it's this five and a half day stretch where you don't sleep. You do technically sleep for four hours, but it's broken up into these horrific naps. Oh. Imagine not sleeping for 72 oh, hours and they goodness. make you sleep for one hour. And then oh. you have to wake up and jump in the oh, ocean. Like, so it's horrible. Worse. <laughs> so it's like this, you lose your mind. Yeah. You literally yeah. become an insane person. It's, it's horrible. And so... I remember they said to us before and then after we secured Hell Week, like, you'll always remember this. There's going to be times in your career where it's going to be so hard. You're going to think, well, I got through Hell Week so I can do this. (laughs) In my Navy SEAL career, I never had that moment. It was like, (laughs) that was the worst thing. But then when I got into doing really YouTube more than TikTok, because YouTube, it's like, you got to, you're telling a long story. I would be like writing the script up until like 4 a.m. And then like, I'm so tired, I can't think, but mm-hmm. I have to be like animated to tell mm. the story. And I'd like remind myself, like you you did hell week, you can tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like tell the story and then like, and then I, I would edit it, taking like four more hours and I'd go to bed mm-hmm. at like 10 a.m., wake up at like noon and just start the process all oh over my goodness. again. Why were you doing so many in such a short amount of time? TikTok, I, when I saw the one video, it went off, the intense like flood of my channel of making three TikToks a day, every day, like nonstop, mm. it worked. My mm-hmm. channel blew up tremendously. But that was 60 seconds. 60 mm. seconds, still challenging, but not sure, the but same not thing. Sure, but not the same, yeah. YouTube, it was kind of like, I know that the content I'm making is going to be pretty good. I was mm-hmm. confident that like, I have the formula down. I'm pretty good at getting these long form stories done. And it was like, I just need to do as many as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. Knowing full well, this will not be the future of the channel. It's like the build the library now, because if any of these videos hit and they kind of go viral, they have other things to go to, to Mm -hmm. to prove that like this, this person can do this repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, build the library. 
at all costs. And okay. I told my I told my wife because she's like, "What are you doing, dude? Yeah. <laughs> like you're not sleeping. You look horrible." And I was like, "You got to give me like you know six months to okay. just like build six as much months. as I can." Wow. And we, I have three young kids. My yeah. wife is like pregnant with our third, and she's like. All right, I don't wow. really understand what you're doing, <laughs> but I, I'm going to take on all responsibility. I literally was like sleeping in that back That's room, true oh, love. just like By the doing way. content. Yeah, and my wife would like bring me food. She's like taking care of like all these kids, oh, and God. she's still taking care of me. And, and, but I have to tell you what, it's like it's funny now. She's like, you saw something that I couldn't, yeah. but she was like, it's it's cool that you saw it before it happened. And I, I think that's true. I mostly was like, I'm just going to do this and yeah. I hope it works. But, so. And did you bring your kind of followers from TikTok with you to YouTube and then also your followers from YouTube with you to podcasting? Or are they just very different audiences? The TikTok to YouTube didn't really happen. Okay. I think it's because the people on TikTok generally are, are looking for short form content and mm. YouTube is not necessarily that. Yeah. yeah. And so I definitely got more of a jump start than someone starting with nothing. I mm -hmm. was able to talk to millions of people on TikTok. TikTok, hey, I got this thing on YouTube. Mm. But it wasn't until the YouTube videos began organically getting picked up by the algorithm. And I know this because the comment section was people like criticizing the TikTok viewers. Like, we know you saw him on TikTok, but I, I found him on YouTube. <laughs> and it became like they drowned out the TikTokers. Like, well, oh, wow. I found him on YouTube. So <laughs> it, it, it wound up being like organic growth on YouTube. But then once we reached kind of like, I don't even know what, maybe a million subscribers, like it became cool to like, short form consumers were more likely to come over and watch the channel if it's already kind of a proven concept. Sure. Now, if I'm advertising on TikTok, hey, there's like X million on this YouTube channel, it's great, there's loads of videos, it's easier for them to come mm. over and give it a shot. Mm. But early on, it was kind of organic, but I was like so like manic about how I went about building it that I guess it worked. Mm. And then uh, to your question about YouTube to podcast, there was huge conversions there right, because okay. it's like kind of the same content mm. in terms of long form, long form. Yeah, because at the moment, what we've got is a lot of people going in the other direction as well, kind of established podcasters thinking, right, well, video is becoming a more and more important part of the podcast landscape and the way people consume podcasts. I've got to think about how I translate my content to video formats. And you've kind of come at that from the opposite direction. So do you repurpose the same footage, the same audio across both your YouTube videos and your podcast? Or do you adapt it in different ways or approach it as a kind of blank slate? It's definitely true that there's an interest now, certainly amongst creators, to incorporate video to podcast. And I do think that that's a very important thing. I would say that I, I kind of approach the podcast and YouTube a lot the same way because it's like, I don't get in front of like a mic, let's say, to tell a podcast and think that it's any different. Like I'm mm -hmm. so used to turning a camera on mm. and then telling this long form story that I just feel like I'm talking to a camera no matter what. Okay. Mm. And so it's the same approach, whether it's podcast or video. And then it's a matter of like, well, do we want to use the video for this podcast or not? Yeah. And so I think that like, if, although you didn't ask like what my opinion on it is, I think it's probably safe to, if you're a creator, like, it's better to have the video and then not use it because mm -hmm. you might need it. And and then in terms of like uh, repurposing, we do take the audio from some of our YouTube videos that you know make sense and we'll remaster it and put it on podcast. Uh, but for the most part, it's like original content on podcast that we do have the video for. But as of right, right now, it's, it's just the audio for the most part. Okay, interesting. How come you don't make every single YouTube video available as a podcast? Why do we not take the, the current YouTube library and convert them all to podcasts? Yeah, why don't you just rip the audio from all We of are them? doing that. Oh, you are doing that. But we're doing it in phases. Oh, okay. So we have a setup where like each week we'll take an episode from you know the archive. Mm -hmm. We do genuinely remaster it because the audio was so bad. So right. there's the, and there's some re-recording that needs to happen. Oh, wow. But it ends up getting like, you know, it's like one one a week versus yeah. like mass dumping them all. Yes, mm. that'd be, of course, awesome for the viewer or listener. <laughs> uh, but from from our perspective, it allows us to like slowly allow it to come on the podcast platform. And do you badge that as like a sort of classic episode or is that just presented as like, well, you know, if you're subscribed on Spotify, for example, you haven't heard this. So here you go. Yeah, well, the thing is, it's always good to be 
aware that your audience actually knows what you're doing. <laughs> and so if you say, here's a brand new episode of the podcast, let's say your audience is like 75% like just podcast. Well, the 25% that have seen this on YouTube, yeah. they're going to know that right. you're acting like this is new and it's not new. <laughs> yeah. So we're very specific about being like, this is a remaster, but a good story people are willing to hear again. Mm -hmm. And I think that it does kind of wind up being a bit nostalgic, you know, for the people that have heard it. it it's, it's genuinely remastered. It sounds different. It's better quality. Mm. Still the same story, but you know, we, we don't say it's a brand new thing. We say it's the thing you like, but we've <laughs> yeah. made it better. And here you go. You started off talking about how you kind of use, using I, and then you moved on to we. Mm. So how did that change? Who kind of came on board was that we, you and your wife? <laughs> well, my wife <laughs> has always been the, the royal we. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once I transitioned to YouTube, and I was still making TikToks, so I was mostly doing YouTube. The YouTube channel was doing really well. It was growing quickly. And unlike TikTok, where no one from an advertiser perspective, no one really knew how much a TikTok was worth. And the TikTokers certainly didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, there wasn't much going on in terms of like sponsorships or anything. It was just kind of like this weird, like, we'll see what happens. Everyone's like figuring it out. YouTube, like if you're doing X views or whatever, like there are people that are going to reach out to you, advertisers or whoever that mm -hmm. are interested in sponsoring you mm -hmm. or, or collaborate, whatever it is. Like there's business opportunities that very quickly become a thing mm -hmm. once your YouTube channel is doing certain numbers of views or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like this, literally this guy in my basement obsessively <laughs> making content and like not sleeping. I'm not thinking about the business side of the operations. And so when I began getting these like inquiries from both, you know, advertisers that want to pay for an ad or people that want to collaborate, both creators and brands, whatever, I just like avoided them. Wow. Not because I'm like better than them. I no, just was like, I don't know how to respond to this. Yeah. So mm. I'm going to ignore you. Um, and so, you don't have the language. Yeah. I was like, mm. I don't yeah. embarrass myself. So I'll just, I'll just mute this. Uh, but I started to realize that like, I'm clearly missing opportunities here by turning, literally turning everything down. Mm -hmm. Like probably good opportunities that just people are annoyed that I ignored them. And so I remember I was like sitting in, we had just moved to this other house in Pennsylvania and it flooded and I'm in my basement. There's like, two inches of water in the basement and I'm like trying to get this, this episode done and it's like this miserable time in my <laughs> life and I remember I got an email from a company that wanted to like do a brand deal with me and I had never done one and I'm like oh, I feel like I should start thinking about this I was so stressed and then I saw another email come through as I'm like sitting in my flooded basement and it was from a guy named Nick Witters who has tremendously changed the landscape of, of Ballin Studios he was a manager at Night Media which is a digital talent agency in the US and he's like hey, uh, I was a military vet. I know you are too. I can imagine you have lots of people reaching out to you that want stuff from you. If you want to talk to me and just chat about YouTube or, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm here for you. And like, it was a, such a genuine message. Obviously he's pitching me like, of course. Course. but it was like, you know what? My life is a little bit chaotic right now. Like I'm not happy with things right now. I'm blowing things off. I'm like getting burned out. And so I, I like literally called him right then. Mm. I don't do that. I don't call, I don't take meetings. I don't like call people. Mm -hmm. I can avoid this stuff. So I called him. And I was like, dude, this is like the most overwhelming thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that I, I, I have this amazing opportunity with the channel being popular, but I have no idea what to do with it. Mm -hmm. I, I can only just work, but like, I can't do that forever. I need to like do other stuff. Mm. Uh, and it would turn out I picked the right person to, to gamble on because <laughs> wow. Nick has been just instrumental. He was like literally like my first genuine like friend within this the, the creator economy because he was just like, all right, dude, like I, I've worked with other huge creators. I can like tell you what's going on. Mm -hmm. I can tell you what's a good opportunity, what's not. Never asked for a dime. Was just like trying to be my, my buddy. You know, we definitely linked over the whole military experience I was going to say, you did mm. end up speaking the same language. Yeah, and like mm. there were a couple of times where I knew he could totally take advantage of mm -hmm. a couple of opportunities and I didn't do anything to just see what would happen. And he completely like had my back and like really proved that he's like, he's in it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up coming on and being his client. You know, he just like helped me build a team. He like hired people, he fired people for me, which was oh, wow. huge. He like it, it, everything. And he also just like understood when people reached out, like what they're really asking for from a brand perspective. And so I really began dumping so much of like the ancillary stuff to him. And uh, eventually we got to a place where 
we were fairly stable. We had a team that he'd helped build. We were, in, we were in a really good spot, he and I, and we decided that he would leave Night Media and just come run my you oh, know, wow. business nice. all in studios. And he stepped into that role and he has just been a complete beast and in the best of ways. And he, he's awesome. So Nick Witters is literally like the reason why Ballin Studios ultimately was even in a position to strike a deal with Amazon Music and Wondery. He's got a vision for the company that I can't see, but he can see it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's incredible to have a partner that like really has your back and does all the things well that you can't even begin to do. It's, mm. it's great. So how many people is Ballin Studios now? I think I think it's thirty six. Oh my god! Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of people. So, talk us through how how that breaks down in terms of what those people are doing. Because I think with creator led businesses, it's often tempting to still see them as you know one person operations, totally. even when they're enormous and you know doing big big views, big audiences, big numbers, because. You know, people like yourself are such a public face of it. It's tempting to not realize that there's a whole, in some cases, huge team yeah. backing them up. So what are, what are those staff members doing for Ball & Studios? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And it's, it's funny, like when I talk about like our business to people that really have no sense, it's always like really like what are they doing? I don't get that. We have researchers, we have writers, we have... Really on the production side, there's quite a few people that are like in charge of quality control. There's obviously like a pod of editors. We also like one of the things that really Nick, Nick is leading all this stuff. He's really good about being strategic about what we're going to pursue, mm. like from a business perspective, like what we're going to expand into. And we don't just start doing the thing. We start looking for people who are going to help us do that thing. And then they are hired on and then help do the thing. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's like, instead of being like, we're just going to start this new project and hire people along the way. Mm. It's like, he will do all the grunt work to figure out wh- who, who would need to be a part of the best possible version of this. Mm. Who do we need to talk to? And he'll take like a thousand meetings to fly all over the world and like meet the right people. <laughs> and then we'll bring in these people who are like experts in this really niche portion of like entertainment. Mm. And then like, we'll start building up like, I can't get into some of the things we're working on, but of we'll course. start building up a, a particular project. And like, this person is like perfect for once this thing becomes a real deal. Uh, and so there's like these speculative projects that we hire for early. And that's definitely a gamble, but mm-hmm. so far so good. There's definitely lots of production jobs. I'd say there's four or five editors now between podcast and YouTube. There's five or six writers. There's a couple of people that sit across those people, like head of production and, and mm. head of the writer's room. And then on the business side, there's people that are working on brand deals. There are people that are products we're looking to make. We have business development people. I mean, there's, wow. there's, it's really like you have content production and then like business operations. And they really are two different aspects of the business. Mm. And like, it's rare that you have someone on this side, on the production side, that has anything to do with like business ops. Mm. And so it's kind of like you have different departments within those. So it's, 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 it's a lot of people, it's a lot of departments, but Nick runs it extremely well. So this is going to sound like an asshole question. I promise Please. it's not. What do you do aside from presenting? Yeah. Is that just your sole focus now? So I, for a long time, up until even somewhat recently, even when we were hiring people that were like being brought in to research, to write, to like do all these different things, I was not truly relinquishing a lot of the things that I did. Like, for example, I would shoot a YouTube video, but then I would do like the first round of edits Mm. because I'm really good at them, right? Mm. That's all I do. I'm really good at making those first, I can do it like 10 times faster than anybody else. Well, because you know the brand, you know the content, you know your own kind of speech patterns and whatnot. And I'm thinking like, well, if it takes me one hour to do that, it'll take an editor like five. So I I might as well just incorporate that into my schedule. But when you start getting to a place where you're doing like, you know, as we are looking at doing quite a few shows at all times, the only thing that I can't outsource is like being on camera. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) so every other aspect in order to scale the the media company, you really have to find people to do everything else, even if it feels like you're being rude, handing it off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I have handed off virtually everything Mm -hmm. except for the stuff that I literally cannot. I would say though, that even though we have researchers, like the topic finders, researchers and writers, the one area that I think I will likely for a very long time until people are extremely good at doing it is looking at any script and like really making sure that it's the language I would want to use mm-hmm. because I don't really use the script. The script is created to make sure that the story stays on track. Mm-hmm. But the way I do storytelling is I, I kind of internalize the script mm-hmm. and riff off the script. 
but I do need the start point. I need the script. And so I need to go through and confirm that it's going to follow the template I want. And so that's a several hour long process. And then it's several hours to record. But I mean, most days I'm going into the studio, looking at a script, punching it up, so to speak, recording it mm -hmm. and pushing it out the door. And then that's pretty much it. Because when you're listening, when I listen to your podcast on Amazon Music, the script comes up. You can scroll through yeah. everything that you're saying. Mm. How different is that script to what you're working with in the studio? So on the podcast side, I think we, we end up being a little bit closer because with the podcast there are a lot of finer details that like you, you can't really riff data points. You know I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause you talk about um, what people are thinking or what, yeah, you know, sure. the kind of what they might've been dreaming about right. or that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, there's definitely like, an, there's like, like liberties we're taking in terms of like, you know, if someone was walking down the hall and they were attacked by someone, like mm. we might take the liberty that they like heard a sound behind them and turned mm, around mm -hmm. and were startled at what they saw, even though like that didn't literally get reported because yeah. that's not the story. The story, yeah is that they were attacked in the hall. Mm -hmm. So there's that element of riffing. But I think what I mean is like, there are like specific truths to the story that are not riffable, yeah. you know, like number of victims and specific stuff. Uh, and so on the podcast, because it, it winds up having, a, it's a more dense script. It's mm -hmm. longer. It's 7,000 words versus like a YouTube video is typically two to 3,000 maybe okay. and sometimes less. And so I'd say the podcast for the sake of being accurate, I'll do a take and then I'll, I'll read that section to make sure that mm -hmm. I did not miss something. Okay. And oftentimes I do. And it, it'll be better the second take, but I, right. I have to shoot it again. So it's pretty close on pod. YouTube, there have been times where I have an entire script made and it's like completely out of left field. <laughs> it's, it's good, but it's like something I wasn't anticipating. Yeah. One thing I'm curious about is the audience. Do you find that your podcasts attract a different type of audience compared to your videos? I think that yes, probably. So on YouTube, it's, it's, it's a slightly younger audience. And then on podcasts, it's, it's slightly older. Mm. It's male skewing and slightly older on pod. But to be honest, like with YouTube, we're able to, to really see up close, like who these people are and mm. like, like where they live. And like, you know, Texas is a hub. California is a hub. You know, 18 to like 26 is pretty common. Mm. But on podcasts, we do have some of that data, but it's not nearly as close. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of just look at it as like, YouTube is slightly younger, podcast is slightly older, mm -hmm. and it's slightly more male skewing on pod. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of it. That's interesting for true crime because it's so often being talked about as a very kind of female-centric medium. So why do you think there is that difference? And do you kind of learn something with, because I know you spoke to the red-handed yep. women today, for example. Did you kind of notice any significant differences and why that might be? Yes, it's definitely female dominated host wise. And I think in terms of like audience viewership, mm -hmm. it winds up being more attractive to women. I think that because I am a man mm -hmm. and therefore it's kind of unique that I'm a host of a true crime mm -hmm. show. I think it kind of makes sense that if there are men out there that maybe are on the fence about true crime, that like they might be more likely to listen to a man simply because of like, I don't know because it's a guy and like I can relate to that or something, but we don't I really thought you know. you were going to say internalized misogyny then. But no. <laughs> But it's, it's kind of like, we don't really know is, is actually the answer. And yeah. we've even tried to figure it out. And like, we, all we have is like anecdotal, like maybe this is going on mm -hmm. or I don't know, like maybe cause I'm like a military guy that like, there could be a military audience mm -hmm. and the military is, is a lot of you know male. So maybe that's why, but the truth is we don't know. It just skews male. And also I wanted to ask about the sort of UK-US split. I wondered yeah. if having a US host means that you don't bring in as many UK listeners, for example, but also you do speak about UK stories or totally. stories presumably from all over the world. So how do you land on those stories that aren't US? And do you find that those pick up traction in those countries where the crime happened? We definitely don't attempt to find stories that are like U.S. based necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think it has just more to do with like the story. Mm -hmm. uh, you could make the case that in virtue of literally sitting in the United States, our IP address is more likely to like land us on if we're searching the Internet, like a U.S. story. But we're definitely not thinking like, let's make sure the story is in the U.S. I'd say the same is true for we're not attempting to find U.K. stories, mm -hmm. although ironically, we literally just did an intentional U.K. story this week because I'm here. <laughs> of course. But I, I would say that's it's not the process for finding a story mm -hmm. minus this week. Um, <laughs> this was Harry and Nicola. Was yeah, that that that's story? Right, yeah, that's right. So I think that like in terms of 
you know, the, the choices, they're kind of like somewhat to do with the story. Uh, and then in terms of viewership, like, I, I don't really know if mm-hmm. it's like, if the story, like the, the one this week, I would imagine there'd be more people from the UK tuning in, but I actually don't really know because mm-hmm. I don't really see the data. It's a long way of saying I'm not really sure. <laughs> uh, to be fair, you have people to do that for you this, to like pick up the go. data. You They're know. the ones. That's right. That's right. <laughs> There's also the way that disclosure works in the media. So one of my favorite sort of bits of media trivia is, are you familiar with the trend of the Florida man? Oh, yes. Yeah, well, I, I am. So No. So quite often, <laughs> if you see like a really weird story, yeah. like a weird thing that's at like, you know, Florida man, you know, drinks tries, gasoline and learns to fly. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wrestles alligator while high on PCP. Uh-huh. Like all of this kind of stuff. It's given Florida this reputation as being an insane state where all kinds of wild <laughs> stuff happens. And it's not, or at least not entirely, Accurate, because mm-hmm. the way it works is Florida has a, a, a regulation, essentially, where all crimes get publicly reported on the police blotter. So anytime someone is arrested for a crime, mm-hmm. that is immediately made public. So the press has instant access to all of the, okay. all of the arrests and crimes that have been mm-hmm. made. And it makes it really easy to pick out the weird ones that yeah. are going to make for really <laughs> eye-catching headlines. And other states, like that's not universal. Not every state does that. So it means that Florida-based weird crimes mm-hmm. are massively over-indexed, uh, which is a, a wonderful bit of trivia. I can't remember where I was going with that. Well, that that's interesting. I, I love bringing well, it up. Well, it means that Florida is now viewed as this totally bizarre place as a result of these headlines being mm-hmm. like delivered en masse. Yes, But it's not exactly. really true. I mean, it's kind of true, but it's not really true. <laughs> How do you land on your stories then? Because presumably there are kind of different subgenres sure. within true crime and the different areas, etc. To not sound repetitive, yeah. how do you make sure that you have that spread? We have a actual like funnel that we've set up all these Google alerts. There's all these different things in place to basically scrub the internet for things that might might fall into mm-hmm. a we would cover this. Wow. And then we take those much smaller numbers and we refine that and we'll find our topics and we're, we're searching constantly. So there's a lot of these topics, uh, but we're looking for things that have some sort of twist at the end. Okay. Uh, it doesn't literally have to be like, oh my gosh, this changes everything. It just mm-hmm. needs to be something we can hold off and reveal at the end. Yeah. Um, nice curveball. Yeah, they, right. And, and I think that like that was something that I always did on TikTok. I did that for sure on YouTube. It was just kind of a thing that I always did, mostly because I like stories like that. Uh-huh. I think that like having that like, wait a minute, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. And so that's a big part of the style. There's always a reveal, which also then means as you listen to these these episodes, we want the viewer to like not really know what's going to happen. We don't want them to. Now, we're not like literally changing the story. It's a matter of telling it in such a way that like you're, you're being given, uh, let's say, 80 percent of the story told in the way that is truthful to the 80% and honest to the 80%. But then you have this thing, this reveal that happens very late in the show, where suddenly as the viewer or the listener, I should say, you realize there were all these pockets that were missing that were intentionally omitted in the mm-hmm. writing, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. But they are all reconciled in the ending. And that's, that's, that's the reveal. So you need a story that can do that. Mm-hmm. If there's not a way to do that, and I wish I had an example of one that we can't, because I can always identify it, but off the top of my head, I can't. <laughs> so we're looking for something where we can hold something off, yeah. a reveal, if you will. And then I would also say that there is an element of, does it sound an awful lot like something we have recently covered? Mm-hmm. Then we're probably not going to cover it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you might then, put it on ice for a bit later, or do you think actually we've done that maybes turn into no's you know what i mean and and it's it's not because there's never a maybe that turns to a yes it's that it it winds up cluttering Mm -hmm. your process and it's better to just throw it away sure it's that thing that's always on your to-do list so many maybes that i'll never do and i know it (laughs) so we just we made it uh those are no's now that's quite a useful tip that's a really i'm gonna i'm gonna start doing that yeah just in life generally but also in like the ideas that you might have if you're not immediately enthusiastic about it i I would say that is largely employed throughout this entire career I've had yeah. is if it's on the fence you shouldn't do it yeah yep. yeah that's I a like very that. good I point. really like that so what other output have you got going on because um you said mm. that 
you to just today, as we've just recorded this at the podcast show, you have just announced something new. So can you tell us about that? Yes. Yeah, so just today we announced that our new show, Mr. Bolin's Medical Mysteries, will come out this fall. It's our, it's our next podcast. It'll be an always on show. We're doing it in conjunction with Wondery. This is our first co-production. Mm. So it's going to follow the same style of storytelling that you get with the main show, where, like I just described, having something revealed at the end, except mm-hmm. in this case, it will almost always be medically, you know, that there you go. It's going to be medical. Um, but it's, it's, it's stories that are heavy narratives, like you're, you're pulled into like what's going to happen next. But instead of it being like true crime, although sometimes it could be, it's like this really obscure thing that is mm. medical and that's just mind blowing. And I can tell you that we did like this huge deep dive into topics to make sure like there was enough here to mm. make an entire always on show around it. And it is unbelievable. Some of the story, I unfortunately, I wish I could just rattle them <laughs> off. There are some that you're going to hear in the first like eight episodes mm. that uh-huh. are so weird. You're like, mm. how? How did this happen? <laughs> Jamie Bartlett is also here today. And he just recently dropped a investigative series centering around Munchausen by proxy. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Falsified or induced illness, I believe. Um, I'm familiar with the concept, yeah. of yes. course. But yeah, he did that for the BBC. And that's a very similar thing where it's a medical thing that's sort of true crime adjacent, yep. but not. So we were interviewing him a, a couple of weeks ago and he was saying the amount of investigation that went into that was crazy. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to take a different type of research to do mm. these well. It's interesting on YouTube, we would periodically put up a, a story that happened to have kind of like a medical angle to mm-hmm. it. It was never intended to be like a series. We just would put it up. And every time there was lots of interest in the comments. Cause I still, mm. I definitely am in there. We, our team reads the comments as nasty as they can get. Mm. And there's always people wanting more medically themed episodes. And so we've always had it in the back of our mind. Like that would be a really cool, like, adjacent type of content to do. But I was always like self-conscious of the fact that I really don't have any medical training and like, Mm. I don't want to start doing something and then be like totally out of my league. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so we found a nice way to make sure that we can get the proper expertise from Mm -hmm. people that are experts, but it can be told in layman's terms. And it can be something that like someone like myself could consume and understand, but also get that like, this Mm. is above my, my understanding of medicine, but I can understand it. It's takes more research, but it's, it's quite good. It's, we have a number of episodes built they're so good mm. is it is there an element of comedy because obviously you can't bring in comedy in true crime really i mean pe- obviously people do yeah. but the way that you tell it it's not comedic i would say that the the comedic aspects are effectively removed but we have you know like the shtick about like in the beginning of episodes we'll talk about like beating up the like button on mm. on youtube mm-hmm. which is just like a goofy thing yeah it's not a part of the episode but it's like in the episode it's what you hear but in terms of the actual story we wind up keeping it very serious Mm -hmm. if there's humor it's unintended Mm -hmm. and i would say that it's if there are things that are so absurd and Mm -hmm. you're trying to tell it with a straight voice it might come off as very straight but it's so ridiculous that of course people are going to think it's funny yeah and there are definitely stories in the medical mystery side (laughs) where like even if i told it as clean like straight of a take as i could the person listening is going to be like how yeah 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 (laughs) how did this person do that (laughs) you know but that's the way it is Mm. can you break down how your studios work with other production houses so ballin studios you know it's its own studio and there are going to be projects that we do that are just owned by us that we're leading and then there are co-productions where we're just like splitting the ownership of of the show Mm -hmm. and so for Medical Mysteries, that's a co-production with Wondery. Mm-hmm. But like, we also intend to run some limited series over the next couple of years where we'll own it. Mm-hmm. But like, we're going to totally team up with Wondery to promote it and, and you know make sure it drives people to the other shows. Mm-hmm. And then there's other shows that are going to be owned majority by Wondery. Uh, it, it just winds up being kind of like a give-take and sure. make sure that everybody's making cool content mm-hmm. and everybody wins. One last question that I have around the sort of business mm-hmm. side of it because I'm I'm quite interested in the sort of differences between video and podcasting because from a content perspective you know we've been discussing them fairly interchangeably particularly YouTube and and podcast but do you find that the two formats attract different commercial partners Yes without getting into like the numbers on it of on on YouTube 
it's a very well-defined landscape, both for the creator. I'm talking like creators that are at a certain threshold. I don't really yes. know what it would be. Let's just say a million subscribers or whatever. Once you reach a certain threshold, like advertisers are going to approach you and they're going to be interested in doing deals with you and they can say exactly what it is. And that creator can very easily like fact check that mm. deal and see if it makes sense. They can look at other creators who've done it. Like it's well-defined. Yeah. The, well the cost, I mean, it's all there. Podcast is not even close. It is like an absolute shot in the dark and the size of podcast is not really public. Mm -hmm. No one really knows who's doing well. No one really, you know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> and so what ends up happening is you have companies that want to get invested in podcasting. You have people that are super aggressive and just ready to dive in. And you have others that might be spending like mad on YouTube, for example, but are just not prepared to do that on pod, even if it's the same creator with the same type of success. Interesting. It, it's, it's, it's like a risk thing. You mm. know, it's like, podcasting is so huge it's getting bigger and it's like you can see it in the, in the overall landscape of, of podcasting but like the the minutiae is harder to see and so mm. if you're if you're a company looking to spend it's just easier to justify spending on a youtube than pod because you can see the numbers right. and you can see that that roi if that's what you're tracking you can see that really clearly but i would say that like the folks that are willing or the like advertisers that are willing to like take a chance let's say on pod mm. like they end up getting sometimes like, like not to toot my own horn, but like <laughs> they're getting tons of impressions on these ads at like mm. a massive discount to what it would be on a YouTube because they just believe in it. You know, and we're <laughs> going to partner with you. We believe in this. We believe in the idea of mm -hmm. podcasting as a medium. And so we've had people that have, we've done deals with like a sponsorship segment on that, like that day they're seeing lift, like within an hour of the podcast. Wow. Right. So it's like this huge <laughs> lift. And, and the so, but so it's, it's kind of like a risk thing, I would say on the podcast side. But I think, I think in time, it's going to be very similar to YouTube where it's a defined landscape mm -hmm. and everybody wants in. So it'll even out. Hmm. And we talked at the top about your alter ego being Mr. Baller. Yeah. Where did that come from? It's funny. So I, I originally had a username on everywhere that mm -hmm. was John B. Allen mm -hmm. 416. Mm -hmm. 416 is my anniversary. Uh, and so John B. Allen, my initials, John B. Allen. But I didn't put any punctuation there. Uh -huh. This is like, I didn't have a social media following. I didn't care <laughs> what my username was. I just like <laughs> jotted it down. And around the time I was doing that charity to help veterans get jobs, it, for whatever reason, sparked interest from aspiring young guys and, and gals that wanted to get into the military. And they would like reach out to me on Instagram, like direct messages to like ask my advice about the military. Mm. And they would always start with <laughs> Mr. Ballin because it looks like John Ballin. And so when I That's got amazing. on TikTok for like a month, I had created a TikTok before I posted that hiker story that went viral. Mm. And I just made it under John B. Allen 416. And I didn't really use it. But then I, I forget what I did. I did something that was like totally unintended and the account got like banned effectively it mm. got banned for like some totally random reason and so I, I was like i'll just start again i have like three followers on here it doesn't matter and i was like what what name should i use i'll use mr ballin <laughs> because that's what they know me as on the internet and so mr ballin it was mr ballin thank you so much for thank joining us much. on PodPod. it's been a real pleasure likewise thank you so Reem, I know you weren't in the interview, but you did have some thoughts on a few things that Mr. Ballin said. I found it really interesting what he was saying about starting out on TikTok and becoming a viral sensation on TikTok and then transitioning to YouTube and discovering that the audiences that he was building on TikTok, even though he was reaching like, I think, millions of viewers, they weren't transitioning into YouTube audiences directly. And he had to then build that audience organically. And he said it's because that they're so used to consuming short form content that it's hard to jump into long form content afterwards. And I think that's that was really interesting just because I think, you know, when you're creating a podcast and when you see so many videos on social media promoting podcasts, you'd think like, oh, well, now I need to, you know, create my podcast and video and start cutting it down and making these really viral clips across like TikTok or Instagram and actually like not much of that percentage of viewers that you're going to get on socials are actually going to be transitioning into listeners. So it shouldn't be that stressful for a podcaster. Like they shouldn't think like, oh, if I'm not a viral sensation on social media, I'm going to be a failure. Mm -hmm. I think that was like a, a good like representation of that. And then he was able to then just build an organic audience on YouTube and then have that transition to audio afterwards. 
Mm. One of the big trends that we're seeing is that while TikTok is becoming huge for podcasters, it's not a conversion tool, as you say. And instead, it is about podcasters building wider multi-platform brands where each kind of platform has a distinct separate audience that are following the sort of the brand of the podcast rather than everything funneling into the the podcast kind of RSS feed as the the ultimate kind of destination. And yeah, Mr. Bolden is a really interesting example of that in action. One of the things that I really took away from this interview is the sheer level of grind that he put in oh, to grow okay. that channel. And I I have to say Huge shout out to Mrs. Ballen for supporting him just during what sounds like an absolutely brutal kind of first year or so. It's absolutely wild, isn't it? Because I, I can't remember if we said this in the interview or not, but like if if my husband suddenly decided that he wanted to create this whole new thing and I was pregnant with our child, my answer <laughs> wouldn't be like, yes, dear, do. <laughs> but, but, you know, to both of their credit, they have made something incredibly successful. But I do really appreciate the fact that, you know, we are massively giving props to the partner who has to do so much of the heavy lifting otherwise. But you're right, like going and kind of building this, he kind of made it sound on the one hand so incredibly easy and yet you know like going viral which as we know is not as easy as it sounds but on mm. the other it, I think it really was important to highlight just how much hard work goes into getting those visitors on your site day on day minute on minute the amount that he has to spend online it's a real yeah. commitment and I absolutely could not do that yeah absolutely and just on that point about virality it's, I think, a bit of a misconception that if you quote unquote go viral, that's it. You've you've made it. Whereas that can be a great springboard and a great launch pad, but it takes real sustained effort mm. to build on that, to build a consistent audience. Because you may get a big viral audience for one thing, but they're not necessarily going to stick around for everything that you do. So you really need to to claw them from a, a sort of viral passing kind of market into a, a sustained fan base. Can I just add something about TikTok? Because I'm an avid TikTok user. Something that Because I, you're young. Yes, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I just have a necessary time on my hands to be going through, <laughs> scrolling through TikTok. Um, no, but, but uh, as a TikTok user and also podcast listener, I actually never find new podcasts through TikTok. But what does help is that the, the accounts that I do follow for the podcasts that I do listen to those clips that they put out, they remind me to go listen to an episode. They're good reminders. And also sometimes I'll like fall out of listening to a podcast for a while and I'll see a clip on like my For You page and that will make me want to go back and listen to the podcast. So I think it's a good way okay. to like stay engaged with your current followers and your current audience and serving them rather than trying to like focus on expanding into a whole completely new audience. I will say there are a few podcasts that I have found through not TikTok, but Instagram Reels. While I don't follow them as podcasts, I do, you know, massively look forward to them coming up in my queue, the clips. And I feel like I'm getting gradually closer to subscribing to the the full-on podcast. So I think I might end up being one of those rare cases that actually does convert from from social to podcast listenership. Uh, for anyone interested, it's uh, shits and gigs, and uh, we got the chocolates. Well, let us know how you get on with that slow moving journey. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm fully invested now. The move from Instagram reels to podcasts. <laughs> Adam and Reem, as ever, thank you so much for your insight. And of course, thank you so much to Mr. Ballin and you guys for listening. You can find out so much more at podpod.com. We have lots and lots of email bulletins, which will go straight to your inbox if you want to know the latest news in podcasting. And do follow us on social at podpodofficial. We've had had some really lovely comments come through recently and some really useful feedback and topics on what people want to hear more of. So we would 
also encourage you guys to feedback as well because we want to be doing this for you so we would love to hear from you the podcast is produced by emma caution for haymarket business media and i'm your host rihanna dillon i will see you next week bye, bye.